what a joy it is to our heart to know that in spite of the chaos in this world and the uncertainty, we can turn to thee, the author, the giver of life, the one who desires our very best and has sent thine only son to be not only the example for us, but also now our intercessor on the right hand of the Father. Heavenly Father, we ask for thy presence here this morning. We ask for the presence of thy good and holy spirit to teach us through thy word that the words that we would hear would be spirit and would be life to us. Be with those that could not gather with us this morning, those that were prevented for various reasons. We're thankful to hear that Brother Greg is doing better after his surgery. We ask that thou would continue to do <clears throat> uh, thy good and perfect will in his life, uh, provide for him a, um, a recovery and perhaps even the ability to gather once again with us. Be with those that are teaching thy word and preaching thy word in perhaps in foreign countries in, in the face of great persecution. Heavenly Father, let thy church send forth thy word until thou wilt return to claim her. Be with us now as we would open thy word together and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> as the situation would have it, um, I actually had the final sermon before the last lockdown, and here I find myself once again in this pulpit for a, another sermon before we are again prevented from gathering. And my mind turned to a passage in John's Gospel towards the end of it where there was another lockdown that was occurring. So if you'll turn with me to John, I believe it's the 20th chapter, starting with verse 19. John's Gospel, chapter 20, beginning with the 19th verse. Then, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent you, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them, and whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. 
And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. I've read to the end of the chapter. The Lord's worthy that we bow in prayer unto him. Dear Father in heaven, as we call on thy name now in prayer, as we address thee directly, we know that thou dost hear and see, and nothing is hid. Thy gaze searches us completely, dear Father. We are naked, we are opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Dear Father, it is perhaps an initially painful thing to realize, dear Father, but a very freeing thing and a, and a wondrous thing to know that a God who sees us completely also loves us and has sent his Son. A God who is all-powerful, holy, just, perfect, who no mortal flesh can stand before, has chosen to identify with the small group, the disciples that are hidden and cowering in fear, rather than with the might of the oppressor. Dear Father, and we take comfort in that, that even this morning hour, thou dost see here in this building, thou dost see us everywhere where we are, in our own houses, behind locked doors, as it were. Dear Father, thou dost see us completely, and thou dost enable us through the power of thy spirit, through the breathing on us of thy perfect and holy spirit, to have confidence, to have no fear, to have that power to overcome the greatest forces, the, the systems of this world that are in opposition to thee, the, the forces of darkness that are continually arrayed against thy children. Dear Father, this is such a great promise we have, a promise that was first truly revealed to those frightened disciples 2,000 years ago that had saw, uh, thought that they'd seen the end of their dreams their hopes, everything dashed, everything lost, couldn't understand. When we're fumbling around, we're frightened, we're paralyzed little rabbits. Dear Father, we're so thankful for that power of the gospel. We realize that it is our hope that we have nothing else that we can cling to, nothing else we can look to. There's nothing else we desire to look to, dear Father, that would give us comfort and assurance. Nothing that we did or uh, that um, others have done in the past, dear Father, but to look to Thee, to look to Thy faithfulness, to Thy provision in Christ Jesus as the enabler, as the one who now is sending us in the same way that, we, that He was sent. Dear Father, we thank Thee for this, uh, this ability to physically gather, which is abundantly clear is not something that we can take for granted and if we ever did before if we thought that the the Sundays and the years could roll by and nothing would change dear father this pandemic if nothing else it reminds us that this truly is a privilege it's a, a special blessing it's not something that we 
ought to take for granted as some sort of right, dear Father, but dear Father, we thank thee for this, this time that we have together, and we pray that thy spirit would be working and accomplishing and building the, the plans of thy kingdom, the, thy purposes in us, and that when we are prevented from seeing each other uh, physically for a while, dear Father, that work would not stop. It would, it would continue. It would persevere. Thy kingdom would come in our hearts and around us, in the hearts of those that we love who are lost. Dear Father, this morning hour we pray for thy gospel. As it has gone out and is going out in all the different countries of the world, we pray that there would be no corner that would be hidden from that message of victory in Jesus, of the, of the resurrection from the grave, of life that transcends the death that we see around us. Dear Father, we pray that that message would go out and we would be part of it. We would be part of thy purposes, that we would not be hindered and be slothful and, and thinking that we have no role to play. Dear Father, help us. Strengthen our hands to be part of that great and glorious harvest. Dear Father, we pray for the brother who is to now meditate upon the words that we've read, those wonderful words, the hope of the gospel. Meet his needs, dear Father, that he also, as a tool in thy hand, would be able to meet ours. Dear Father, we pray for the shut-in, for those that are sick, those that are going through difficulties of their flesh. Dear Father, we pray for healing for them. We, we are, no, there, there are many in our, head, our midst who have chronic conditions that are struggling for years with conditions of their mind and of their bodies. Dear Father, grant them healing. Grant them healing in thy perfect will. Healing spiritually, dear Father, that they would be able to trust thee through the physical, through the, the mental difficulties. And we also pray for their, their mental and their physical healing too, dear Father. We pray also for uh, those that are in prison, those that are uh, suffering for thy name's sake, those that are recipients of abuse and scorn of men. Help them to realize they are also recipients of the, the great promises, of the joy that comes from being identified with Christ Jesus in such a, uh, an apparent and an obvious way. Dear Father, strengthen them and help them to persevere. We know that this is a marathon. This is not a sprint. This is not a... Um, a seesaw up and down. This is a marathon. This is a run to the finish. And each of us needs to have our eyes on the prize to look up, to see what awaits us, the, the glorious promise we have here and now and in the future in Jesus Christ. So we pray this in his name. Amen. There are many interesting things said in this chapter that we've read together. And perhaps there may be a little bit of confusion in our minds as to what God's plan is for the future. I'm sure I speak for all of us when I say that we had hoped that when the churches were reopened that this would be a a cycle of things getting back to normal as opposed to again having to lock things down again. 
It may seem to you that we've gone backwards. But with the Lord's help, I'd like to point out a few things in this passage we've read together and then in a few others. So some of the things that I believe the Lord has been showing me over the last little while and perhaps can be an encouragement to you as well. The doors were shut for fear. I think we can all admit that 2020 has been a year with plenty of fears. Virus, political outcomes, social order changing, big changes perhaps coming. There's a lot of fear. The first word from the Lord to those that are fearful is peace be unto you. But that peace is conditional. That peace is not just a, um, a bromide, something to make you feel good. It's a peace based on something. And that peace is based on faith. I said before that faith seems like a nebulous thing, hard to put into words, hard to explain perhaps to other people. We call it belief, but then what's belief? Um, one of the definitions I heard for faith, which I quite like, helped crystallize it for me, is faith is bringing our thoughts and being in, a, in line with the truth. Stop and think about that for a moment. What does that mean? Truth is more than just what can be understood with the physical senses. I think anyone would agree with that statement. Truth has to do with ideas. Ideas are not tangible things. So Jesus says peace, but it's peace to those who believe. Peace to those who will bring their lives in alignment with the greater reality that he is revealing to his disciples. That greater reality includes life beyond the grave. For the skeptic, I guess, that could be hard to swallow. In fact, one of the ones who spent three years traveling those roads with, with, with Jesus, the great master, didn't believe it either when it was first introduced to him. So don't feel bad if you have doubts or questions. But don't shut out Jesus' answer or instructions to you either. Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. There is evidence. There's always evidence, but what will you do with that evidence? Because that evidence will never be enough for the skeptic who wishes to persist in skepticism. Thomas didn't even believe the words of his fellow disciples that he had spent so much time with. 
until he handled it himself, he would not believe, he said. And yet we don't actually read of him actually testing Jesus on this point. It was enough when he came into the prisons of the risen Christ. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. In some of my previous sermons, I've talked about the idea of taking up the cross and following Christ, and then again of the kingdom of God and what that means. God has decreed, well, first, he's made some truth claims about this kingdom, and then he's decreed that the only way that you can become part of this kingdom is through faith, is through lining your life up with these truth claims and what he says about himself and the evidence that he presents. This idea is also bound up with the idea of new life. That there is a new life on the other side of this faith. As Jesus died and resurrected, we are also to die and resurrect. That is part of becoming part of this kingdom. Jesus then does something very interesting. He breathes on his disciples and says, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, for those of you that know Scripture, you'll say, Well, wait a minute. How does this fit with what we read in Acts at Pentecost? How, how does this make sense? How do you make sense of this? And I don't know that I have a full answer for you, but I believe I can give you this. Where faith is, life will follow. Jesus said that many times. He said it to Martha when her, when her brother died. Only believe and life will follow. For those that are willing, for those that are willing to believe, life will follow. But you must be willing to believe. You can't have it the other way around. In Scripture, breath was always the sign of life. It was at the very beginning. God forms man of the dust of the earth. He breathes in his nostrils the breath of life, and he becomes a living soul. Here, I believe, is a similar parallel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes and breathes life into those who believe. And he ties it up with believing because Thomas did not believe. And so he had to come back and address that. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas was with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. He does it again. And then he says to Thomas, And be not faithless, but believing. So spiritual life must come first. This is the way it is also for those who will enter the kingdom of God. You cannot be part of that kingdom until you are born into it. 
and that is a rebirth, as Scripture says. I know perhaps many of these things are hard to grasp, and you may have many questions, as Nicodemus did. But I would like to push forward into what happened after this event, because I think this is very important for the church today. I believe that the believers that have chosen to gather here or online together have experienced spiritual life. That belief in Christ and what he did has brought spiritual life to us who believe. But the next question is, is that it or is there more? you'll turn with me to Luke's gospel. He says in the final chapter of Luke's gospel, Luke 24 and verse 49, this is among Christ's final words to his disciples, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now let's read the second half of Luke's gospel to see how that played out, at least the the lead up to it. Because Acts begins where Luke ended. It was written by the same author. And Luke tells us that this is the second part and I'd like to begin reading uh, verse 3 from the first chapter to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs this is Jesus being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. I believe in many ways the church is stuck between that upper room and Pentecost. We believe there is spiritual life, but at least for myself, there seems to be a lack of spiritual power. Why is that? Why does the church today seem to act more like the disciples before they knew that Christ had resurrected than after? We're going to be prevented from gathering together in a building the way that we normally do on a Sunday morning, the way that Christ's disciples have always done since he resurrected. But what will we be doing while we are apart from one another? I think perhaps the reason that the Lord is allowing us to be shut out of this building is that we would also learn what the disciples had to learn, that we need to wait. We need to wait, and we need to expect, and we need to pray 
because that is the only path to power, to spiritual power. I'm not saying that there is no spiritual power in the church. Don't get me wrong on that. We have seen evidence of prayer that has wrought even miraculous healing. If you think of our brother Peter in Richmond Hill. We have seen the evidence of spiritual power in the lives of, of, of lives that have turned from, from, uh, from, from darkness and sin to life. We've seen that. But what about in the church? The kingdom of God is to be a recognizable thing here in this fallen world. An assembly of believers that when they get together, there is special spiritual power there. What does that mean? I don't entirely know. I don't, let me, let me qualify what I mean by that. Does it mean miracles will be done? Maybe. It happened in the early church. Does it mean lives will be changed? Definitely. Look at the witness of the early church in Jerusalem. It says the Lord added daily such as would be saved. In a, in a, in a church where the Spirit of God has come with power, I don't think people struggle with repentance for years. I think the evidence there is so clear and so obvious. The working of the Spirit of God is so apparent that for those hearts that are willing and ready, that change can happen very quickly. And there's something else that happens in a church that's spirit-filled. Sinners don't find it very comfortable. A spirit-filled church is not comfortable for the sinner. We read in the, in, the, in the early church, it says, the Lord added daily such as should be saved. But then it says something else. It says, and of the rest, durst no man join themselves to them, and fear was on all the people. There was something different operating in that group of people over there that gathered in Solomon's porch in the temple. They didn't walk according to the, the patterns of the world. They didn't care about things like personal possessions. For them, the, the latest topic of the news was of no importance. They were looking for another kingdom. They were rejoicing because that kingdom was coming, and it was coming closer. Do we see that in the churches today? Or do we see a fear instead that personal liberties might be being eroded, that, that free speech is maybe being squelched, that traditional religious Christian patterns that we saw enshrined in law and government may be eroding? Or do we see believers gathered together rejoicing in the fact that all of these are signs that the Lord is coming soon? And we're excited to meet him. I confess I'm speaking about things that I don't know a lot about. I admit that to you freely. But I see, as I desire more for the Spirit of God to work in my life, that other things start to drop away. 
Other things are maybe less important. Even my life is less important. Because I'm looking for something better that's coming. We will not find perfect government or perfect society here below. Not until that day when the Lord returns to set things right. The thing is, perfect society can exist in the church of God where the Spirit of God is working. Is that something you want? Or would you rather continue with the status quo, that the church is just a few steps behind the rest of the world in entertainment and values? That we fear just as much as the rest of the world does? That our lives, our desires, and our, and our, and our taste for entertainment is what the world's was 20 years ago? Is that the kind of church that the Lord told his disciples to wait for? It's easy to become comfortable in a building. It's easy to become comfortable with routines and patterns. Our minds work that way. We default to patterns. But is that what God wants for us? Perhaps this time of lockdowns and barriers to gathering is so that the Spirit of God could talk to each one of us individually so that when we do gather together again, that the power will become obvious to those that are watching. Pentecost was not just a historical event. There was spiritual life with the disciples, but then there came spiritual power. And I believe that Pentecost is something that is to be perpetuated by the church. It's to continue. And unfortunately, because of human nature, things devolve into patterns and things that were good practices in the past, that were spiritual practices, can become empty over time and just become vain repetition. And so every so often the coals need to be stirred up and the fire breaks out again. As it did in different groups of spirit-led believers all through history, as it did for our own group in the hills of Zurich in the 1800s. It can, again, break out here. Technology, time, location does not matter. The Church of Christ was never meant to be defined by any of those things. It was to be a new kingdom that was defined by a new king and that was motivated by a new force, not one of, not one of political power or, or uh, the right of majority, but by the power of the Spirit of God. If what I'm speaking about this morning seems new or strange, it isn't. It's an old story. 
You can read about it in the hymns of our hymnal. The symbol, the symbol of the Spirit was fire. A fire that broke out. And it was a fire that could not be stopped. The tyrannical Roman government tried. It outlasted that same empire. Others have tried since. More recently in some of the communist countries. Atheism was to be the new standard. Religion was to die and finally be buried. What happened? Believers rediscovered the word of God and the fire broke out again. But what about you? Do you want that tongue of fire on your own head? You see, they were all gathered together, but the fire came down individually on each one. Think about that for a moment. What must that have been like? The fire needs to come down on your own life. Fire burns. And there may be things that get burned up as a result. But the power that it brings, more than just a, a spiritual life in terms of existence and maybe heaven one day, but power. I think the church lacks that. I think the church has forgotten that. It's tried other things instead of that power. The flame has flickered, guttered, and died. And so we substituted it with other things, entertainment, mega churches with a superstar pastor, emotional praise bands, events, maybe even uh, trying to harness political power and stir up emotion that way. But where is the fire? The real church of God never worries that its rights may be revoked. That doesn't matter. Who can stop the fire of God? The Romans couldn't. The Nazis couldn't. The communists couldn't. But the fire must first come down on each one of us. So perhaps in these next, it was five weeks, Five weeks from when Jesus said, Terry, to when the fire came. We have four or so. Let's tarry and ask God for the promise of the Father. That is the birthright of those who are reborn May the Lord add whatever was lacking. Amen. Would a brother please select a hymn? I really don't have much to add uh, to the sermon this morning. Uh, the Lord spoke to my heart, and I have to admit I want more. I want more of him. I don't know how many of you have uh, tried to kindle a fire uh, when you're camping, and things just... You know, when things are not, sometimes it goes very quickly. Sometimes it just, no matter what you do, you seem to arrange things. Whatever the conditions are, nothing seems to be going. 
and then it starts and then it burns. And when it's going, you just think, wow, what was I, what was I struggling with? Why did it not really start? What was going on? I think we need to all realize, I need to realize that the materials for that fire are very close. They are between the pages of this book that we just read. They are at your bedside, the place where your knees go, where you pray. All the materials for that fire are right there. They're ready to be kindled. We just need to humble ourselves. We need to realize what we need desperately. May God kindle that fire. May he make it break out individually in our lives so that our gatherings, our, our encouraging of each other, our, our working together would be a glorious light that others would be drawn to and warmed by. And that's my prayer. That's all our prayer, too. Why don't you read the remaining verses? Sure. Verses 5 to 8 of the hymn we just sang. Thou art the fount of love unending, Thou breath of life from heaven above, may not prevent thee, Lord, from sending into our hearts this fire of love. O oh, blend all that is disunited into a temple grand and fair, and may thy Father's house be lighted by love from heaven gleaming there. O oh, warm, awaken, and enlighten the world to praise that will not cease and every tribe and nation brighten with truth to know thee, Prince of Peace. Ah, then shall sound from million voices the harmonies of jubilee as every heart in thee rejoices and saints all glow with love for thee. Let's glow. May the Lord bless us. As we conclude this service, maybe we could sing God be with you until we meet again as a conclusion.